The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Hey, Shades. Um, So I'm going to be reading from Psalm 137. Um, So I'll give you just a second to turn there. Um, Let's see. So the title is, How Shall We Sing the Lord's Song? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. So if you have not already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 137. Um, Last week, we were in Psalm 136, the psalm just before this one. If you remember, that psalm consistently called us to give thanks. It called us to sing of the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever but I wonder how many of us felt like singing like it's true it's gloriously true God's steadfast love does endure forever we know that we're thankful that it's true but given the current state of the world and the current state of our our lives I think many if not all of us were left asking how shall we sing I don't think it's a coincidence that the central question of this psalm, Psalm 137, is exactly that. How shall we sing? Right right on the heels of Psalm 136's call to sing, here we find a song to express how our heart feels when it doesn't feel like singing. You see the irony? A song to express how we feel when we don't feel like singing. This, This psalm shows your heart, my heart, how to pray when it can't sing. It it plots a path to bring everything we feel before the Lord. And it puts us on a trajectory to one day sing again. How shall we sing find out with me let's begin reading psalm 137 verses 1 through 3 by the waters of babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered zion on the willows or poplar trees there we hung up our lyres our harps lyres a personal handheld harp for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying sing us one of the songs of zion The psalm has three sections that you can plainly see. And these three sections reveal to us two big things. First, how shall we pray? And second, 
how shall we sing? When we don't feel like doing either of those things. The first section of this psalm that we just read, it shows us that the people of God who are composing this psalm, they don't feel like singing. Look at verse 1 again. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. This psalm is reflecting on the experience of the people of God in 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, the biggest, baddest world empire of the time, had come in for the final time, laid waste to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people away as, as exiles. And, and this psalm feels like it's reflecting on the moment that they arrive in Babylon. Babylon was a land of many waters, rivers, great rivers like the Euphrates and Tigris. land of many canals. Perhaps this is reflecting on the moment that they're passing over one of those bodies of water that constitutes a boundary to Babylon. In other words, it's the moment they're no longer home. By the waters of Babylon, they sat down. You can almost feel them falling to the ground as they wept. Why? Because they remembered Zion. Zion's the name of the, uh, the mount that the temple in Jerusalem was built upon. It came to be a nickname for the entire city. So most generally, they're saying, we remembered home. They remembered everything that they'd lost. Homes, hopes, dreams. Their loved ones literally left slaughtered in the streets. Lamentations 2, verse 21. In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. Generally, they remember that they've lost home. But even more specifically than that, when they say that they remember Zion, what they're saying is they remember the temple, which was not merely a building. It was a, it was a physical, visual reminder of the presence of God. They're weeping because they feel cut off from God himself. The God whose steadfast love endures forever. But, but where is that love right now? Like, how am I supposed to sing of such love? They feel like they can't. Just look at verse 2. On the poplar trees, we hung up our harps. Don't think modern harp like big classical music strummy thing. This is a small personal instrument, and it was an instrument of celebration and joy. Think of a banjo. It's really hard to play a sad song on a banjo. <laughs> but they hung them up. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're Babylonian captors. They, they mock them. They torment them. Sing us a song of Zion. The Jews were a people who were known as a singing people. The Psalms is the largest collection of lyrical poetry in all of antiquity. They were known for, for singing. So the Babylonians mocked this singing people. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Songs of Zion were songs of victory, celebration. Their captors are demanding that God's people celebrate their own defeat, ironically singing a song of victory. And they just can't. They can't do it. So they hung up their harps on trees. In other words, this is like we no longer need these because we are going into exile. Look at verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In other words, 
the songs of Zion, how are we going to sing those when all they do is remind us we're not in Zion? How are we going to sing the songs of Zion when they will only cause us to relive the pain of its destruction? How shall we sing? Shades, how shall we sing? When the very words of our hymns and praises and songs remind us of all the reasons we aren't currently rejoicing. When we sing of God's victory, but it feels like all that surrounds us is defeat. When we sing of unity, but all we feel is division. When we sing of forgiveness and freedom, but we're held captive to bitterness and anger, shades How shall we sing when we collapse by our own waters of Babylon in our lives? When all we can do is fall to the ground ourselves and weep. Shades, I have felt this way this week. Over and over again, I have found my heart asking, how shall I sing? In Psalm 137, I believe we see that when we can't sing, we can pray. Even The Bible promises us that there is prayer going up for us even when we feel like we can't do that. Romans 8 and verse 26 promises us that when we don't know how to pray for ourselves, the Spirit Himself is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. I can at least groan. This psalm, I think, reveals to us that when the people of God can't sing, what they do is pray. That's what this psalm is. It's a prayer. They can't sing, so they're praying. And through this psalm, I think we see how they come before God. How they pray when they can't sing. And I think this psalm teaches us to do the exact same thing. I told you, this is the first big thing this psalm reveals to us. How shall we pray? I think Psalm 137 gives us three things. Number one, with honest pain. How shall we pray? With honest pain. Is that not what we've seen in verses 1 through 3 so far? Like this psalm doesn't hold back anywhere. I'm just paraphrase the people were praying, God, we fell down and wept. We hung up our hearts. We don't feel like singing. We're collapsing beneath the pain and we're being mocked. Mocked by the very ones who've destroyed our lives. Shades, these words are like a rag being wrung out. They, they, they drip and they bleed with pain. And this psalm, it brings all of that honestly before God in prayer. Do we pray this way with honest pain? Do we do this with the Lord? Like when we feel that we cannot sing, do we tell Him that in prayer? Pour out our pain. Personal confession shades. I am a bit of a deep feeler. Brad accuses me all the time of being a super feeler. I don't think that's a thing, but he says it is. In my Myers-Briggs, I'm an F, not a T. On the Enneagram, I am a four. If none of that means anything to you, I'm saying I'm sensitive. 
too sensitive to be a pastor. Thank God for His sustaining grace. Shades, I have this tendency to bottle up everything that I feel, all my pain, all my hurt, and I'll share pieces of it with people. I'll share a piece of it with Holly. I'll share pieces of it with Brad and John Mark. I'll share some with the elders. I'll share some with my parents. But I tend to never pour out all of my pain because I fear that no one can handle it. No one can handle me. Shades, Jesus can. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm crying more and more these days. I told somebody I'm getting older, and I think when you get older, you only get softer or harder. So if there's one way to go, I guess this is it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. The implication of that, Shades, is that he can handle every ounce of your heaviness that you can pour out. You can wring out the entire rag of pain. Bleed out every last drop to Jesus, for he has bled to bear your pain. Shades, this is how we pray. With honest pain. Number two, how shall we pray? With honest faith. With honest faith. Look at verses five and six. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, a smoother translation of that final phrase would be, if I don't make Jerusalem my highest joy. Like any other joy I have in line, let me set Jerusalem above all of that. So generally, the psalmist means right here, yes, literally, let me keep the city of Jerusalem as my highest joy over all other cities. I'm being taken into Babylon. Let me keep Jerusalem my joy over Babylon. He means that generally, but more specifically, he means let me keep God as my highest joy. Jerusalem, Zion, the place of the temple, the place of my God. Let let me always keep him and his kingdom as my highest joy. Let me never make the joy of another kingdom and another king like Babylon with all of its gods. Let me never put that above him. Do you hear the psalmist's prayer? It's a prayer to keep the faith. To not forget or forsake his faith in God. He says, Lord, I only want to write songs that praise you. If I forget about you and I quit doing that, I'm a right hand forget how to play the harp so I don't write songs to anybody else. I only want to sing songs to you. If I forsake the faith and try to sing for anyone else, let my tongue get stuck to the roof of my mouth so I don't utter a single note. He's praying to keep the faith because he's concerned he may not. You see it plain on the page. His fear is that he will forget and forsake his faith. Shades, do you see the psalmist praying with honest faith? 
He hasn't lost his faith, but he is being honest that his faith is really weak right now. Too weak to even sing. And he fears, he fears he might lose it altogether and end up singing praises to someone else. Shades, do we pray with this honest faith? When you're by the rivers of Babylon in your life, and God seems nowhere to be found, when you fear that your faith is, is going to fail, do you tell God that in prayer? I, I don't know another way to make faith last than to pray for God to make it last in his grace. I, do, I don't know another way to be held fast in our faith than he holds us fast. To pray, Lord, you who began a good work in me, you bring it to completion. To, to pray, Lord, you keep me from stumbling so that you may present me blameless before your presence of your glory with great joy one day. Lord, you hold me fast. Shades, my prayer this past week has been, Lord, would you empower me to be like Rocky Balboa? As Brad gave me this image earlier this week. He, it's turned into my prayer, Lord, empower me to be like Rocky. If you haven't seen the Rocky films, I don't know why. You're missing classic, terrible cinema. But that's beside the point. The first one was great. Um, it's about a boxer who takes a licking and keeps on ticking. His goal is to endure and make it to the final bell. He wants to go the distance. It's been my prayer, Shades. I want to go the distance. I want to endure to the final bell of well done, my good and faithful servant. Shades, don't, don't hide your failing faith from the only one who can empower it. I can't empower your faith. No other Christian. Don't look to other Christians. They will not empower your faith. They may make you forget it or forsake it. But they can't empower it. Take it to Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. That's how he describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Dana Ortland has written a brilliant book to help our hearts feel the reality that we can bring our floundering faith to a gentle and lowly Jesus. I long for each of you to read this book so bad that I'll explain how at the end of the service, but we have a free one for every single one of you today. And all of you, even if you're not here, we're going to get it in the hands of everybody. I want want you to feel the reality so that so that you will we will bring our faith and all its weakness to the gentle and lowly jesus isaiah 42 and verse 3 promises that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench the Puritan Richard Baxter wrote a brilliant book on that one verse to help your heart feel that reality. I do not have a free one of that for you today, but I highly recommend it to you. The point is that Jesus doesn't take bruised people and break them. He heals them. Jesus doesn't take the faintly burning wick of your faith and snuff it out. He fans it into flame shades this 
This is how we pray with honest faith. How shall we pray? With honest pain, with honest faith. Number three, with honest anger. With honest anger. Look at verses 7 and 9. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. The the Edomites cheered on the Babylonians during the destruction of Jerusalem, and they would eventually join in. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is called an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is one that asks for God to judge one's enemies. I, I, I doubt that you can find a single page in the Psalter where you will not encounter some form of an imprecatory prayer. These things are scattered all throughout the Psalms and they bother us. <coughs> this one especially. This is the harshest imprecatory prayer in the entire Psalter. But before we self-righteously judge the psalmist, there are three things we need to consider. Number one, consider the gravity of what they have suffered. Consider the gravity of what they have suffered. War, destruction, death, as their own little ones were slaughtered and left unburied, rotting in the street. Consider the gravity of what they've suffered. Number two, consider the honesty of their prayer. Consider the honesty of their prayer. This is raw. Raw feeling brought before the Lord. This is honest anger. Just like I talked about, it's not bottling our pain. We're not to bottle our, our anger. We bring it, we're to bring it before the Lord. That's the healthiest thing we can do with it. The psalmist isn't tweeting his anger. He's not spewing it on Facebook or, or Instagram. These are unproductive places that many people, many Christians run with their anger. And Shades, much of what is said online should instead be poured out in prayer. Shades, take your honest anger to Jesus. Consider the honesty of their prayer. And thirdly, before we self-righteously judge the psalmist, Consider the poetic nature of the language. Consider the poetic, and I don't mean pretty. This language isn't pretty. Consider the poetic nature of the language. I mean this is poetry. Poetry which uses language primarily to make a point and accurately express an emotion accurately say what I'm feeling, what my desire is. It's not necessarily meant to be literal. I explain this to my kids all the time when I say, poetry is like this, your mom is a beautiful flower. What do I mean? You say you mean that she's beautiful. I'm like, exactly. I do not mean she's a daisy. In other words, what the psalmist point in this prayer, what, what is the psalmist point in this prayer? 
What's, what's his desire? His desire is justice. You see that in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. That's a prayer for justice. For the punishment to fit the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's known as the lex talionis prayer or or justice. That's a prayer for measured justice that matches the crime committed. But even deeper, even deeper in verse 9, the psalmist's language expresses his ultimate desire, namely that evil will end. That is what is poetically, not pretty, but poetically pictured in this prayer for little ones to be dashed against the rocks. It's a poetic way of saying, Lord, don't let there be any future generations of Babylonians who will conquer and kill us again. End this cycle. It's a prayer for the end of the cycle of violence. God's people could look back over their history of, and see a cycle of oppression, whether they're looking at Egypt or Syria or Babylon or Persia, quickly coming down the road will be Greece and then Rome. And this prayer is, Lord, make the cycle stop. How many of you have been through cycles of hurt and pain and evil in your life? Is this not your prayer? Lord, make the cycle stop. Bring evil to an end. And the poetic language here expresses that desire with honest anger. It's do whatever it takes. We dare not piously pretend that we never feel this kind of anger. And when we do, if we do not take our anger honestly to the Lord, then the psalmist is actually more righteous than we are. Shades, do we pray this way? All all the anger, all the anger that you have felt over this past year and a half, anger towards the world, anger towards the government, anger towards fellow citizens, anger towards brothers and sisters in Christ. What What do you do? What do you do? What do I do with all that anger? Do we take it to anyone and everyone but God? That's the only place where we can be empowered to actually take that anger and let it go. In fact, that's what we are doing when we pray with honest anger. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's giving all of his anger and all of its desires to God, ultimately submitting his will to God's will, knowing he will carry out perfect justice, even if that doesn't look like what he wants it to look like. This is what we do. We submit even our desires for vengeance to the Lord in prayer, trusting he will handle it perfectly so we don't have to. Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You can only be empowered to do verse 20 right there if you do verse 19. In other words, you can only be empowered to love your enemies if your anger with all of its desires is given to God, trusting that he will handle it perfectly, better than you or I ever could. And this isn't something that we do once. God, here's all my pain and here's all my anger and yay, let it go. This psalm is permanently in print because we need to pray it over and over and over again. 
Shades, this is how we pray with honest anger. When we when we find ourselves by the waters of Babylon in our lives and we feel that we cannot even sing, how shall we pray? With honest pain, honest faith, and honest anger. Praying this way, it puts us on a trajectory to one day be able to sing again. I told you that this is the second big thing that this psalm reveals to us. How shall we sing? I think Psalm 137 gives us three answers. Number one, by being embraced by grace. How shall we sing? By being embraced by grace. That's what we've seen all the way back at the beginning of this psalm. Verses 1 through 4, where where God's people prayed with honest pain. This, This psalm shows us the Lord doesn't shy away from our pain. He doesn't reject us in it. He doesn't scold us for pouring it out. He's not like Israel's enemies who mocked them in their pain. No, he meets us in our pain. Like the father of the prodigal son. When we come to God in our pain, He runs to embrace us with with grace. He's done that for you and for me. He has made that run. He did it by taking on flesh, going to the cross, meeting us in our pain, bearing it on our behalf so that He can say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, be embraced by grace. Shades, this is how, this is how we are put on a trajectory to one day sing again. When we pray with honest pain, we are embraced by grace. You are not rejected. Embraced and brought in. How shall we sing? By being embraced by grace. Number two, by being empowered to endure. Are we going to be put on that trajectory to one day sing again by being empowered to endure? Is that not what we saw in verses 5 and 6 where God's people pray with honest faith? They're praying, asking for their faith to be empowered. Don't let me forget you. Empower me to, to keep the faith. Is that not precisely what God has promised to do for His people? Is, is that not precisely what Christ purchased on the cross? Every ounce of power needed, not just to justify you and make you right with God, but also to sanctify you, empower you every step of the way until the day He glorifies you in the presence of God. Christ purchased all of that. That's why we call all of that salvation. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that He might bring us to God. Not part of the way, all the way. He purchased all the power. So when you pray, when you pray with honest faith, asking for Him to empower your perseverance, you're praying for the very thing He purchased and loves to give. You, he, loves to, he loves to empower us to endure. He will complete the good work that He began in you. He will keep you from stumbling so that He can present you 
faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He will hold you fast. He will empower you to go the distance, make it to the final bell, so that one day you may say, not, yo, Adrian, I did it, but so that one day you may say, glory to God, he did it. Shades. Shades. This is how we are put on a trajectory to one day sing again. When we pray with honest faith, we are empowered to endure. Jesus takes the flickering flame of our our, our faith and he fans it into, into flame. How shall we sing? By being embraced by grace. By being empowered to endure. And finally, number three, by believing evil will end. How shall we sing? By believing evil will end. This is what we've seen in verses 7 to 9 where God's people pray with honest anger. It's a prayer for God to do what He has promised to do, bring evil to an end. You can see that in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It speaks of Babylon doomed to be destroyed. Why can they pray that way? Babylon doomed to be destroyed. Because through the prophets, God had promised His people that Babylon would one day be defeated. In fact, we know through our study of the book of Revelation last year that Babylon ends up becoming symbolic of every evil empire ever. And Revelation has promised us, God has promised to bring all of that evil to an end. Shades, he promised that as soon as evil began. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God promised to send a savior who would crush Satan's serpent head and the head dashed the heads of all Satan's offspring not literal little ones but everyone who follows him will be judged dashed along with him and evil will finally end that's the ultimate longing of this prayer and it's ultimately answered in jesus jesus who himself was crushed jesus who himself was dashed against the rocks on behalf of anyone who will trust in him and jesus who will one day return to dash all evil and bring it to an end as psalm chapter 2 and verse 9 says psalm chapter 2 and verse 9 is the only other place in the entire psalter where the hebrew word for dash right here appears And it appears in the context of a promise. A promise that a savior, a king, will come and he will dash and make an end of every evil empire ever, set up his kingdom forever. That's why this psalmist prays, blessed shall he be. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, who takes all evil ever and puts it to an end, dashes it against the rock. The heart of this prayer is blessed is he who will bring evil to an end. Shades, we pray for that. Every single time we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, wipe out every single other kingdom and set yours up for now and forever. Redeem all things. We we are praying, we are believing that evil will end. And on that day, shades, on that day we will sing again. On that day, those hung up harps, they will come down again. That's the picture we're given in Revelation 15 
And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. Hmm, By the waters again. I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its images and the number of its names standing, not sitting down, standing beside the sea of glass with the harps of God in their hands. And they sing. This is exile imagery straight out of Psalm 137. Only here it's flipped. We, all God's people who are strangers and exiles in this world, final exile has been brought fully and finally to an end and the harps are coming down again. No longer by the rivers of Babylon do God's people sit down and weep. No, beside a sea of glass, they stand and they sing. They celebrate. Because they're no longer in a foreign land. Revelation pictures all of creation as the new Jerusalem, everywhere redeemed. This is God's final answer to the question of his people in Psalm 137 and verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? There won't be a foreign land anymore because all lands will be his. He will redeem it All his people will be able to stand and sing by the literal rivers of Babylon because they won't belong to Babylon anymore. And Shades, you will be able to sing by every river of Babylon in your life because it will no longer be foreign enemy land. It will be redeemed by your king. Your health redeemed. Your sexuality redeemed. Your mental health redeemed. Your relationships redeemed. The wrongs you've suffered righted. Perfect justice executed. All your tears wiped away by the finger of God as he brings forth life out of every place of death bringing resurrection to completion. Shades, this is how this is how we are put on a trajectory to one day sing again. When we pray with honest anger, we do so believing evil will end. But right now, right now, Shades, it's okay to weep. It's okay to grieve. Right now it's okay to ask, how shall we sing? But bring all of that, everything, to Jesus. Come to Jesus with all of your honest pain, honest faith, and honest anger. He's the one who can handle it. He's the only one who can heal it. He's the only one who can put us on a trajectory to one day sing again. And Lord, we pray by the grace purchased by the blood of Jesus that your spirit by his power make it so. Amen.